chance on the show dedicated to defending the historic Christian faith. I am your host, A.C. Felder, and today the topic is Baha'i. And to discuss this topic with me, I have a very special guest, Dr. Winfred Cordwin. And let me tell you about Dr. Cordwin. He has a Master's of Arts and Philosophy of Religion from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He has a Ph.D. in Religious Studies from Rice University. And he's Professor of Philosophy and Religion at Taylor University. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cordwin. Hi, Harold. It's good to be with you again on Giving an Answer. All right, it's good to have you again. Because you, you've been up before, you've talked once before on the uniqueness of of Christ, and uh, and I I remember that show it was one of my favorite shows. So I'm well, glad I'm glad to have you back on. But today is going to be a little bit different. Today we're going to be talking about something called Baha'i. So how how did you come to an understanding of Baha'i? Well, I first encountered Baha'i when I was a high school student. And there was a girl in one of my classes who was Baha'i, and she had a slightly different attitude than a lot of girls did in high school at the time. She was, back in the early 60s, already very much a feminist and standing up for equal rights for women. And she said that this was because of her Baha'i faith. Then later on, I've studied Baha'i by reading books, and I've met many Baha'i adherents. I've had them in my classes as speakers. I've been to the Baha'i House of Worship in Wilmette, Illinois, as well as the one that's in Delhi, India. So I've known a lot of Baha'i people now, and I'm very glad to know them because they tend to be up straight, rational people who try to create a better world. Okay. So, Dr. Cordon, exactly then what is Baha'i? Well, Baha'i is a religion. It's a religion that is relatively new. It started in the 19th century. It uh, bases itself on the teachings of a man called Baha'u'llah, which means the glory of God. So a Baha'i is literally a follower of Baha. And uh, even though it only started relatively recently, in 1863 to be exact, it is actually now the second most widespread religion in the world, second only to Christianity. Now, I don't mean that it has the second most adherents, far from it, but it's found in over 200 countries, and that's more than any other religion other than Christianity. Islam is in about 175 countries, so Baha'i has them beat as far as being spread out by quite a big number. Now, exactly how many Baha'i are there then? About six million members. Okay. And uh, so that, uh, in terms of size, makes them relatively small, but they're all over the world. There are Baha'i houses of worship or temples on each of the continents, and uh, it's a well-known religion. 
You started talking about how it started. You uh, you mentioned the person. Uh, could you give us any more information about how this religion actually got started? Yeah, there was a forerunner, actually, of Baha'u'llah, a man who called himself the Gate, or in Arabic that would have been the Bab, and he lived in Persia, and he said that he was a new communications portal, so to speak, to God. Well, his teachings were repressed, and he was persecuted and eventually martyred, and uh, many of his followers were persecuted and killed, but the movement lived on, and then in 1863, this man who called himself Baha'u'llah from that on, uh, took over and uh, he gathered new followers. And actually, because of the violence that was caused to a certain extent by those who opposed him, he wound up being exiled to Akko in Palestine and he spent most of his life in house arrest there and uh, writing books and eventually gathering a number of followers. And what are their core beliefs? They are monotheistic. They believe that there is one God, but God is not easily captured by our categories of thought by the attributes that we may ascribe to him. He is beyond our ability to conceptualize him. But, according to Baha'i, God has manifested himself in various prophets, such as the Bab, whom I mentioned a while ago, and Abraham, and Krishna and Muhammad and the Buddha and in Jesus and eventually in Baha'u'llah. He is the last, at least for now, of nine manifestations of God. And so rather than thinking of God in unthinkable terms, we can think of God as he is represented by these manifestations. Now, all of the manifestations had the same message, but each one in time improved on the other, and so Baha'u'llah is now the final revelation, at least for the next million years or so, but that doesn't mean that the others are worthless, they are supposed to all be incorporated in Baha'i and all have their place of honor. So what are some of the practices of the group? They worship God. As a group, they will hold weekly or monthly meetings where they get together and enjoy readings from various scriptures around the world as well as the writings of Baha'u'llah. They will sing and meditate. They 
are actively involved usually in social action in their communities. And there's also a core spirituality. Each Baha'i is expected to pray every day. Uh, and there are different prayer plans. Uh, for some people, it's just once a day. For others, three. For some others, maybe five. They keep a different calendar, 19 months of 19 days each. And one of those months is a month of fasting, similar to the practice by Muslims. But on the whole, most of the Muslim origins of Baha'i are pretty much surpassed at this point. You said they have their own calendar? Yeah. They, uh, of course, keep their calendar along with the rest of us, but then the religion has a special calendar, which, as I said, consists of these 19-day months in Baha'i, the number nine is very important because it is the highest digit, still being a single digit, but accommodating nine different possibilities. And next to nine, 19 becomes the next most important number. Okay. One of the things I'd like to do when I'm we talk about other religions and faiths, is I like to compare them to Christianity. I like to compare the main areas of doctrine to show how they differ. So I want you to compare them with different areas that I'm going to give you, and, uh, and we'll see how they stack up. Okay. How do they compare with the, their view of God, with the Christian view of God? Okay, in Christianity, God is personal, he has revealed himself with personal attributes. He has given us some clear knowledge about him. Even though we cannot comprehend God, we have some clear knowledge of him. In Baha'i, on the other hand, the concept of God is very vague. He is probably personal, but... Our language really doesn't suffice to say that. And so if it weren't for these manifestations of God, we really could have no true knowledge of God at all. Okay, now what about their view of man? In Christianity, we have the view of man as being fallen, sinful. Is their view the same, or how does it differ? No, they do not have a view of original sin, Human beings do not stand in need of redemption in Baha'i. Baha'i is very optimistic concerning the potential of human beings, but human beings need to be guided. You can't just leave them on their own. In fact, in a very poignant passage, at least to me, Baha'u'llah says that there's a lot of danger in giving people too much liberty because people would just abuse it. So even though they don't consider human beings to be intrinsically sinful, they are optimistic and yet distrustful of human beings. Hmm. Now, 
what do they say about Jesus? Who is Jesus? As I mentioned already, Jesus is considered to be one of the main prophets, one of the great manifestations. And if you read Baha'u'llah's writings, you see that he pays a lot of respect to Jesus. He even acknowledges that Jesus was crucified and resurrected. So there is a difference to Islam, which also respects Jesus but denies his uh, crucifixion. Baha'u'llah and Baha'i accept Jesus as a manifestation of God. They accept his teachings up to a point. They acknowledge the crucifixion, but, and here's one of those big buts, ultimately they reduce the teachings of Jesus to basically the teachings of Baha'u'llah. In other words, they chop away everything that does not fit their conceptions of Jesus. And uh, so they come out with a picture of Jesus that's highly skewed in the Baha'i direction. Now, where do they get their view of Jesus? This was, according to Baha'i, revealed to Baha'u'llah. Of course, having initially grown up in a Muslim community, he would have had some knowledge of Jesus through the Quran and uh, would have had some respect for Jesus. But then as he developed his religion, which he, of course, would claim to be based on revelation, he started to learn about other great religious figures in the past, and he included Jesus among them. When he was incarcerated, he would have had exposure to Christians during this time of house arrest. He would have had contact with the British who were at least nominally Christian. And so he took what he learned about Jesus and bent it a little to suit his views. And voila, there he is as one of the nine manifestations. Now, if they believed that he was crucified, why would they say he was crucified? If he wasn't crucified for our salvation, for, for our sins, then what do they attribute his crucifixion to? They would say that he was a martyr for his faith and that the crucifixion simply expresses God's great love for human beings. So the crucifixion is not an atonement, but it's an example and a role model for us to follow and to emulate. What is their view of salvation as opposed to Christianity? Well, since they're not considering human beings to be lost, there really is no room for salvation either. Human beings don't need to be redeemed, but they need to be taught and guided. 
So there is no salvation, per se, in Baha'i. What about the afterlife? Uh, heaven and hell, according to the statements of Baha'u'llah, are states of mind. They are not actual places the way that Christianity teaches. They're not really the final destinies of human beings, but they're states of mind. If you are alienated from God and humanity, you're in the state of hell. If you are in a good relationship to God and humanity, you are in a state of heaven. Now, they do accept an afterlife, but the afterlife is not going to be nicely and cleanly divided up into heaven and hell. Okay, so then what happens to a person when, when he dies? Well, we don't know, actually. This is something that's beyond our knowledge. They uh, will persist in some way. They, they don't believe that the human soul is totally extinguished. They are not big on reincarnation, but there is some kind of survival of the soul. But, you know, this really shows that the point of the religion is simply not to earn an afterlife or to be, quote, saved, but to create a better world for everyone in the here and now. What is their view of the Bible? They accept the Bible as inspired word of God, though, again, they believe that it was superseded by their own scriptures. If you attend the Baha'i service, chances are that they're going to read from various world scriptures. They may read from the Quran and from the Bhagavad Gita and from the Bible and from the writings of Baha'u'llah. Each of them has their place. Each of them is considered to be revelatory. All of them are ultimately superseded by Baha'u'llah's writings. Now, how do they deal with the contradictions? For instance, the Quran clearly teaches that Jesus did not die for our sins or our salvation. The Bible clearly teaches that he did. So how do they deal with the, with the contradictions in the different teachings of the religion's founders? Well, I hate to say this, but they sidestep them. <laughs> I have had many a conversation with Baha'i friends over meals and without meals trying to get to some kind of resolution on this issue. And uh, I remember talking to a friend, and we were going round and round in circles on this, and I said, look, if you have two religions that make exclusive truth claims and they, can't contra and they contradict each other, they can't possibly both be true. And he said, well, we just don't think in those categories. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely a sidestep an issue. <laughs> yeah. So, so you mentioned that uh, they have... That Baha'i did some writing. So, 
So is Baha'i scripture, I mean, is it a lot of scripture that he wrote? I mean, is it, you said it's sort of equal to the Bible, so is it, is it sort, of like, sort of like the Bible? Well, it's not like the Bible in style. It's about a Bible's worth in content. I have before me here the writings of Baha'u'llah, all collected in one volume. And uh, let's see, it goes to page 800-something. Wow. So these are various writings of Baha'u'llah. Some of them are letters that he wrote. Some of them are uh, expositions, kind of like sermons. They are lengthy in some parts and short in others. But they are all by him, and they uh, all uh, reflect his teachings, and they can be fairly repetitive. Mm. And then the writings of his two immediate successors, his son Abdu'l-Baha and Abdu'l-Baha's grandson, Shoghi Effendi, also wrote, and their writings are considered to be holy writings. So Shoghi Effendi's main contribution was to uh, translate the scriptures into English so that they would reach a much wider target audience. Yeah. On a whole, evaluate Baha'i as compared to Christianity, the strengths and weaknesses and all that kind of good stuff. Well, up until now, I've tried to be fairly positive about Baha'i. I've said that they're usually heavily involved in creating good communities. They stand up for justice. They maintain many of the core moral values that Christians do. For example, they esteem marriage highly and are opposed to adultery or sexual perversions. However, when you put it all together, what I see in Baha'i is a pretty powerless set of beliefs. There doesn't seem to be a lot of spiritual strength in it. When you try to have it always, you always run the risk of getting it no way. Mm. And that's what I see as the basic problem with Hawaii, with Baha'i, excuse me. We, uh, when, when we try to please everyone, we are probably not going to please anyone. Okay. And Baha'i tries to say all of the right things that, in one sense, appeal to people of today, uh, the oneness of humanity, the reconciliation between science and religion, the abolishment of poverty and war, and so forth. But when I look at it, I see that there's no real power behind it. And a lot of those 
teachings seem to be not much more than catchphrases. Mm. For example, Baha'i is big, as I mentioned already, on the equality of men and women. Yet, there is not a single woman serving on the main leadership body of Baha'i, which meets in Haifa in Israel and is called the Baha'i House of Justice. So the intentions are outrunning the actual implementation and uh, trying to simply do everything without a strong spiritual base is just not going to work. And you're not going to find a strong spiritual base in a religion that one man has knit together, as it were, or created as a quilt patchwork of many other religions. Yeah. Well, actually, Dr. Corwin, that, that was sort of a bring us to the end of the show, but uh, how can people get in contact with you? They can log on to my website, www.wincordwin.com, or they can write to me in care of Taylor University, or they can email me, and rather than going through a lot of spelling on the air here, you can get my email address on the website or through Taylor University. Okay, Dr. Wayne Corwin, I would like to thank you for joining me here today to talk about Baha'i, and that will end this episode of Giving an Answer. Be sure to join me again next time, and until then, goodbye, and God bless. This is H.C. Felder again. For all of you who are interested in apologetics, I wanted to let you know that I will be teaching an Apologetics 101 class. It is free and open to the public. It will be on Sunday evenings for six weeks starting the first Sunday in October at the Journey Church here in Charlotte. It is designed to take a person from complete skepticism to the realization that Christianity alone is true. So come out and invite your family, friends, believers and unbelievers and take this opportunity to ask those questions that you've always wanted to ask. For more information, call 704 704- Two four eight seven eight four zero. That number again is seven zero four The preceding show has been sponsored by Giving an Answer with your host H.C. Felder. So you can hear this broadcast as well as other episodes by visiting us online at givinganswer.org. You can also order a CD or a DVD of the studio recording by calling me at 704-248-7840. And remember, this show will only stay on the air if people continue to help us buy airtime. So I encourage you to consider making a tax-deductible financial donation to this ministry. That phone number again is 704-248-7840. And be sure to join me again next time on Giving an Answer.